Today our reading is from Joshua 20, verses 1 through 9. And you can find this in your pamphlet or in a Bible or on your phone. Um, So then the Lord said to Joshua, Say to the people of Israel, Appoint the cities of refuge of which I spoke to you through Moses, that the manslayer who strikes any person without intent or unknowingly may flee there. They shall be for you a refuge from the avenger of blood. He shall flee to one of these cities and shall stand at the entrance of the gate of the city and explain his case to the elders of that city. Then they shall take him into the city and give him a place and he shall remain with them. And if the avenger of blood pursues him, they shall not give up the manslayer into his hand because he struck his neighbor unknowingly and did not hate him in the past. And he shall remain in that city until he has stood before the congregation for judgment, until the death of him who is high priest at the time. Then the manslayer may return to his own town and his own home to the town from which he fled. So they set apart Kadesh in Galilee in the hill country of Naphtali and Sheshem, in the hill country of Ephraim and Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the hill country of Judah. And beyond the Jordan, east of Jericho, they appointed Bezer in the wilderness on the tableland from the tribe of Reuben, and Ramoth and Gilead from the tribe of Gad, and Golan and Bashan from the tribe of Manasseh. These were the cities designated for, for all the people of Israel and for the strangers sojourning among them, that anyone who killed a person without intent could flee there so that he might not die by the hand of the avenger of blood till he stood before the congregation. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Simone. Uh, My name's Eric, by the way, if we haven't got a chance to meet yet. Uh, I'm the newest member of our LBC staff here, so I I get the privilege all throughout the week of serving and and praying for and living life uh, with you all, and I get the privilege this morning right now of opening up God's word with you. Uh, And so as we begin, let's first bow our heads and pray for help. Oh God, your word is is pure, powerful, personal, and we need it this morning. We come here, all of us today, under-believing your gospel and over-believing our worries, our wounds, and our own press. Help us to receive your word today and to see Jesus in it. Father, make the gospel irresistible to us this morning. Amen. So where do you go? Where do you go when things go wrong? When things get hard, when all gets to be too much, where do you go? Maybe it's a place, maybe it's a memory, maybe it's a relationship, maybe it's a a particular thing. When the impacts of living life in a world that has been marred by sin when they come into your home, into your life, into your story, you need some sort of refuge. 
You need a place where you can go and you know when you get there, there is somebody who will be there, who will be for you, and who will keep you safe. Well, God in Joshua 20, he's giving Israel that place. Right, Joshua has just led Israel into the promised land for the last seven chapters that, that we mercifully passed over for you. Uh, the land has been divided up and portioned out and given to uh, everybody uh, there. It's, it's kind of like uh, they're about now. It's kind of like God now is about to just toss them the keys to start their new life in their new home. It's kind of like one of those home makeover shows uh, that my wife Becca and I watched way too much of when our first son Neville was born, right? Israel, they've gone through demo day, right? They've cleared everything out. Uh, everybody's brought in their stuff. They've all picked out their rooms. And, and now it's almost as if as God's putting the keys in their hands, he reminds him of one thing that is really going to go on to encompass everything. This old command that God first gave to Moses for Israel to build these six cities. Six places where when the brokenness of life becomes real, you can go, someone could go and know that God will be for them and keep them safe. Now, isn't that what we all want? Don't we all want a refuge like that? A place where we know someone will be for us and keep us safe. Not just from this specific situation here in Joshua 20, but from the brokenness in our world, the brokenness in our own lives that we've all brought in here today. Well, let's look at three things in this passage here about the refuge that God gave Israel, the refuge that he still gives us today. God gives a just refuge, a merciful refuge, and a living refuge. So first, God gives them a just refuge. Um, there, are, there are a lot of really valuable things in life, uh, highly valuable things in our world, outrageously valuable things in our world. All right, do you know who the most valuable athlete is right now? Cristiano Ronaldo. Professional soccer player. His most recent contract is worth up to almost $200 million a year. All right, you know who the most expensive home in America is? 220 Central Park South in Manhattan. It was bought a few years ago by a hedge fund founder for $238 million, right? We thought Winter Park was getting crazy. You know the most expensive painting, the most valuable painting is? It's the Salvador Mundi by Leonardo da Vinci. Sold at an auction for $450 million. And you can actually see it if you want. Uh, we've got it viewing right now at the LBC office when you walk in on the lobby, just on the left. <laughs> but you know, there's, these things, they're all ridiculously valuable, but we all know value is subjective, right? Something's really only as valuable as somebody's willing to pay for it. Well, God gives this just refuge to his people 
because of how much he values each of their lives. Which you can see just in the price that he's willing to pay for it. You can see this first in how much God requires of the life of the person who was accidentally killed. You know, just because this death was an accident, it doesn't mean that the person who did it is, is completely off the hook. No, they're still guilty. God just treats them more leniently. That's all that's happening here. God still, he still requires a price for the life that was lost. You know, in order to avoid getting killed in just cold blood revenge, this person who's accidentally killed someone, they, they effectively go into exile. I mean, these cities of refuge, these safe havens, they're as much a refuge as a prison. I mean, just think about it. This person is now suddenly disconnected from their family, disconnected from their home until their freedom is finally bought years later, maybe years and years later, at the price of another. At the death of the high priest who represents the guilt of God's people. But God doesn't just value the life that was accidentally lost. No, look how much he values the person who accidentally did it too. God values this person enough to slow down, to look at their heart, to discern their motives, to not just simply treat them as black and white, but to actually step into the gray. Why? Because human life is, is far too valuable to God to be that simplistic about it. To just say, well, I mean, it's tit for tat. You killed someone, now you get the death sentence too. I mean, we, we all know this. We're simplistic about things that we don't really care that much about. We're nuanced about things that we really care about. And God is taking some time here to step into the nuance of what's just happened. To set up this whole legal process so that if this was an accident, this person can be safe. So that they don't get killed too, and now we've just added an injustice on top of a tragedy. This is God's heart of justice, giving his people this, this just refuge. A place of safety in danger because God is operating off the baseline conviction that regardless of who you are, you matter. But as the author Francis Schaeffer put it, there is no little people to God. That it doesn't matter here what your social standing is, what side of the tracks you're from, you as a human being, you are never trivial, you are never insignificant, you are never expendable to God. No, you are valuable to him. I mean, just look at what he would pay for you. His own son. Given up on the cross all so God could have you. I mean, that makes the Salvador Mundi look like nothing. And yet God did it all because he thought broken you and me 
who had turned our backs on him, who even after he makes alive to his love, we will still wander and return, stumble and sin, constantly drift in and out of a heart sense of his love for us. God thought you were worth it. So God gives them a just refuge. Second, God gives them a merciful refuge. Um, I don't know, I don't know if you like surprises. I don't. Uh, I hate surprises. I am too controlling. I'm too much of a planner for it. The, the whole thing just makes me anxious. Um, after the birth of our, of our first child, Neville, uh, he, was, he was at that stage where he was starting to walk, he was mobile, and uh, my wife and I, Becca, we were starting to talk, and we said, you know what, let's just give it a little bit of space till we have our next kid. You know, let's just give a little bit of breathing room, uh, let ourselves get our feet back under ourselves. I mean, it sounded like a great idea. Until I can remember still the day coming home from work, and there it was, sitting on the kitchen table, Two pink lines, just looking at me right in the face. And I immediately went out to the grocery store and I bought three more tests by three different brands that all said the same thing. Surprise, we're having a baby. We were having it in six months, actually. It was a big surprise for us. Did you catch the surprise in this passage? This whole chapter is about how to discern when somebody's unintentionally killed someone. Now, the only reason you would need to differentiate that is if there will be times when someone will also intentionally kill someone. In fact, God is in effect saying here that this is going to happen so often I'm going to give you six different cities of refuge so to help you deal with the loss of life that is going to happen here. I mean, talk about surprise. Is this what you really think that Joshua and, and Israel thought their life in their new home would be like? I mean, the promised land, this, this was supposed to feel something a little bit more like Eden again. This was God's people in God's place with God's presence. And yet, here's the surprise. It's not going to be paradise. People will be killed. It doesn't matter if it's murder or accidental. Blood defiles the land. Israel is going to defile their new home. And do you see what God's doing here? God's heart of mercy is anticipating their brokenness before it happens. Do you know how merciful that is? I mean, I mean, what happens to you when you are caught off guard by the brokenness of our world, by the brokenness in your own life, I mean, if, if you're like me, you're confused, you're angry, you're disoriented, you don't know how to respond. And so in the chaos of a broken world, when we, we're one where we don't even always know how to respond, God gives his people a refuge. As if to say, when this all happens, don't think, don't try to make sense of it, just stop what you're doing and go. Go. 
Go to the place where I've anticipated your need and I've responded with my faithfulness. See, this whole command about making these six cities of refuge, this isn't anything new. Right, Simone read it in verse 2. This all goes all the way back to something God first told Moses when they came up out of Egypt. That when Israel got into the land, they were to make these six safe havens. And here in verse 7, God's promise finally reaches fulfillment. That when brokenness comes, the mercy of God will still be with his people. That here in Joshua 20, he is anticipating their need and responding with his faithfulness in a refuge where his people can run to and find safety in the merciful heart of God. And here's the best part. Anybody can get in on this. These were the cities, verse 9 says, designated for all the people of Israel and for the stranger sojourning among them, that anyone who killed a person without intent could flee there. I mean, that, that verse, that's not just some little tag-on summary of the passage. That's a summary of the heart of God who's always moving toward the outsider, who's always including the stranger, who's always welcoming in the people who don't belong who gives a refuge open to anyone who will come to it. It doesn't matter your past, your status, your reputation. There is a safety for you here in the merciful heart of God waiting for you. So God gives his people a just refuge, a merciful refuge, and lastly, he gives us a living refuge. You see, as, as great as this refuge was, Israel, and ultimately me and you, we, we need something so much greater than this. You see, Israel's ultimate problem, our ultimate problem, isn't just where do we go when we've unintentionally sinned, when we've accidentally violated the good way that, that God has made this world known. No, you and me need a place to run to when we've intentionally sinned. When, when we've knowingly blown it. We need a place that's going to be a safe haven for repeat offenders like you and me. And, and that is exactly what God gives us in Jesus. In the book of Psalms, over 40 times, the psalmist says, God is our refuge. That when we're in danger, God is the person we can run to and know he'll be for us and keep us safe. And then in the New Testament, Jesus comes. God in the flesh, who becomes a living refuge for broken sufferers and sinners like you and me. Who when a, when a woman caught in adultery is dragged in front of Jesus. He welcomes her, protects her, and restores her. When a prostitute breaks into a, a pastor's party, Jesus 
receives her, defends her, and renews her. Who in an impeccably religious man, the Apostle Paul, comes alive to his pride, his hypocrisy, his unbelief. Jesus opens up wide for him a safe haven in his inexhaustible grace. Jesus, he is the living refuge that we all need. He's the person that we can run to in our suffering, in our sin, and know that in him, God will be for us and will keep us safe. Because Jesus, our living refuge, also became our great high priest. Who just like the high priest here in Joshua 20 Jesus' death on our behalf satisfies the justice of God with the mercy of God so that when we run to Jesus, God now gives us an even greater safety and refuge that someone got when they went to one of these cities here in Joshua 20. A refuge in Jesus that is not just God treating us more leniently. No, it's God now treating us as his beloved Son. In the Gospels, you can see in real time the Apostle Peter come alive to the refuge of Jesus for broken people. Early on in the Gospels, the disciples, they've been out fishing all night, they've caught nothing. And so Jesus from the shore yells out to them to throw their nets on the other side of the boat. And they do, and they pull up this busting at the seams catch of fish. And, and Peter, in the moment, realizes there's something different. There's something unique about this man, Jesus. And he cries out, Jesus, I'm a sinner. Stay away from me. Flash forward now, end of the Gospels. Disciples, they're out fishing all night, again, all night, caught nothing. Again, the now crucified and resurrected Jesus yells at them from the shore to throw their nets on the other side of the boat. They do, and again, they pull up this ridiculous catch of fish. Only this time, Peter doesn't say, I'm a sinner, I'm weak, I'm helpless. Jesus, I am not the man that you think I am. Stay away from me. No, Peter, sorry. Peter dives in the water and swims as fast as he can to Jesus. Now, what changed? Because, because by all accounts, Peter has all the more reason to just run the opposite way of Jesus. I, I mean, he has misunderstood him. He has disrespected him. He's just failed Jesus at his most valuable, most vulnerable moment possible. Peter got the gospel. Peter got that Jesus didn't come to be his redo. No, Peter, just like me, would have messed that up too. Jesus came to be Peter's refuge. 
to be the person where God had anticipated Peter's brokenness and responded with his mercy. You see, there is, there is no more safe and welcoming refuge today than Jesus, who promises, whoever will come to me, I will never cast you out. You see, our, our hearts, we, we naturally assume the opposite of that. We think that when everything's going well, Jesus will take me in, but when I've blown it, Jesus is the last place I can run to. A Jesus who's a refuge only when we've got it mostly together on our own is no refuge at all to real sinners like you and me. No, Jesus is a city of refuge today for people with a past, for people with regrets, for people with failures, with disappointments, for people who've wandered, who are wounded, who can't keep it all together, which is all of us. Jesus looks at you and says, you're just the type of person that my refuge was built for. That just like these cities of refuge here in Joshua 20, anyone can get in on the living refuge that God gives us in Jesus. And when you run to him, when you run to that city of refuge in Jesus. He's not scolding, annoyed, rolling his eyes, or looking for the exit. No, Hebrews says he is gentle and empathetic. Who the author Dane Ortland says has the natural, natural posture, not of a pointed finger, but open arms. Who doesn't just give us a pass on our sin. No, he gives us himself for our sin. Who in his welcoming heart, we find a refuge where God is for us and will keep you safe. Even from your greatest enemy, our own unbelieving hearts. You see, there's two types of people in this world. And it's not the good and the bad. There's broken people who've run to Jesus and broken people who haven't. That's it. You, me, all of us here in this room, that's all it comes down to. A Christian is someone who's run to Jesus to be their living refuge. And the Christian life is learning to do that again and again and again as we find in him greater healing, humbling, and hope. It's making his refuge not just a temporary stop, but your new permanent address. It's not moving past, but growing deeper into the safe haven of Jesus as he becomes more beautiful, as his refuge becomes more wonderful. And the more we do, the more the safe haven of Jesus becomes more needed, inviting, and known. The church becomes like a city of refuge that you and me, we are running to every Sunday because the welcoming heart of Jesus is here. You know, every week that, that so many of you spend hours and sweat and maybe a little blood setting up a church here in the Winter Park or in the uh, Winter Park High School. We are not just setting up one more show in a city that does great entertainment. 
No, we are setting up a mobile city of refuge where it's safe to come and be broken, where it's safe to come and not have it all together, where it's safe to come and need Jesus, where it's safe to risk running to Christ our refuge, trusting that his city gates are open wide to sinners, to the helpless, to the broken, to insiders, outsiders, and anyone who will come. So whoever is weary and needing rest, whoever is suffering and needing comfort, whoever is in sin and needing forgiveness, Christ's refuge is open wide. Run to him. Let's pray. Father, thank you. (laughs) Thank you for this gift that you give us. Thank you for Jesus, our true and greater refuge. Our place of safety in your just and merciful heart for us. Spirit, help us to run to Jesus in our brokenness and find in him a safe haven in his welcoming grace. Amen.